0: Thank you guys. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as you're turning there, I may say a word of thanks for letting us be away from you for some time. We were gone on vacation this past week and a half and uh, had a great time with our family. I'm also very thankful that while I'm away, we have great people who are able to step up and lead. I'm very thankful for Pastor Orell for his leadership and being willing to share this past Sunday. We've come to a place in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, in which we're really closing out the main kind of thrust and body of the book of Philippians. There was an introduction in which Paul thanked the Philippians for their gift and for the way they had blessed him. There's a conclusion we're going to get to in the next couple of weeks as Paul deals with some specific issues the Philippians were dealing with as a church. But sandwiched between those is Paul using this occasion to encourage the Philippians to stand firm together in the gospel. One of the reasons we know that this section of verses we're looking at this morning closes out this larger section is because he's going to, again, encourage them in chapter 4, verse 1, to stand firm. So you're going to see those verses that come up. But as Paul does this, he wants to give them another warning about a potential obstacle to them standing firm together in the gospel. He's warned them about false teaching and some of the dangers that come along with that, about finding confidence and trusting in oneself. He's warned them about misunderstanding, grace, that the finished work of Christ does not mean that we are finished in our labors in this world. But today he's going to turn his attention to a different kind of danger, and that's the danger of relational influence. Paul's going to warn the Philippians, and by extension you and I, about the danger of the examples that we might follow. Now, here's what I want you to know right from the beginning. All of us, without exception, are being shaped by the relationships and influences we've allowed to come into our lives. There's not a person in this room that is not the product and the ongoing influence of relationships and examples that we look to. What this passage is going to call us to do is to recognize both the power of relationships and influences in our lives, but it's also going to call us to be incredibly discerning about the levels of influence and relationships we let into our lives. I want to show you both the power of influence and the right kind of influences and relationships we need if we're going to follow Christ well. Let me show you this from Philippians chapter 3. Would you please stand with me to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word, Philippians 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Philippians 3, 17, we read these words. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in these moments that you would bring your word to life, That your spirit would pierce our hearts. And Lord, that as we hear from you today, we would not just be hearers. God, would you help us be doers of your word as well? Open our minds to understand your word now. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This passage starts with Paul talking about the power of influence and examples in our lives. Look at your Bibles in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to imitate him. That word imitate, it's it's the picture of somebody laying a stencil or a pattern on a piece of paper and tracing out a picture. And Paul's saying, in the same way that you would have that pattern on that paper that would make a shape or, or, or a particular image, that his life and the example of others who've followed in Paul's footsteps are meant to be that kind of pattern for our lives. See, what Paul's emphasizing is the need for you and I to look for godly biblical, Christ-like examples that we model our lives after. I remember when I was growing up, Michael Jordan was uh, the the man, basketball, if you guys remember those days when he won championship after championship, but there was a commercial uh, that Gatorade did, uh, and it was called Be Like Mike. Some of you may remember that, and it was this commercial of Michael Jordan playing basketball, and of course, conveniently drinking Gatorade and it was to encourage you to buy Gatorade because you want to be like Mike. But what was more interesting to me as I watched the commercial, I YouTubed it yesterday just to make sure I had the memory correct. You can YouTube anything today, right? I YouTubed it to make sure I was remembering right and it was. Um, the, The iconic image of Michael Jordan was when he would dunk the ball or do something really dramatic or significant, he would stick his tongue out, right? Do you guys remember this? Anybody? Okay, just making sure you guys are awake out there. Yes, I'm not sticking my tongue at you. He would stick his tongue out. And in the commercial, there are these little kids sticking their tongues out trying to be like Mike. I remember when I was growing up, when I was 9, 10 years old, I would get the basketball goal and I would lower it to like 4 feet. Because I couldn't dunk on 7, Ethan. Not even 6, not even 5. I had to get it down to 4 feet to dunk and to try to be like Mike, right okay? What Paul is saying is that in the same way that people would look at like an athlete and try to model their athletic game or career after them, Paul's saying in the Christian life, we're to look for those kind of examples to follow for us. We're to look for people that are modeling certain behaviors, certain lifestyles, certain perspectives, certain attitudes, and we're to emulate that in our lives. I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, it's easy for that to sound a little presumptuous, right? Wow, Paul, you, you think you're this example par excellence that's perfect and without fault. And what we quickly need to identify is Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that he's without fault or without sin. But we can agree with what Paul's saying here with what he says in other places. What he's saying is, you guys follow me as I'm following Jesus. And this is all built around this kind of baseline theological assumption we see in the Bible about how you and I are made. You and I are made in the image of God. We're made, Genesis 1:26 and 27, in God's image. Now, that means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is that you and I are created for relationships and connection. And we're created for relationships in two basic directions, okay? We're created for relationships vertically. That's with our Creator, being in right fellowship and right standing with Him. But we're also created for relationships and connections horizontally. So here's how they come together. When you and I were born into this world, we were born with a sinful desire, sinful nature that leads us to worship ourselves rather than our creator. So this vertical relationship because of our sin was not there. It was harmed. It's broken. So Jesus Christ comes, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross for our sins, and rises again to say, I'm going to reestablish this relationship between you and God vertically. But here's what's so cool. The way that this vertical relationship and the reality of God's grace is communicated is through horizontal relationships with other people. The vertical reality of God's grace that Jesus has won for us on the cross is communicated and displayed through relationships we have with people. And what Paul is saying is that there's an incredible amount of power in these relationships. There's an incredible amount of influence happening in our relationships with other people. And what he's saying is that you and I need to be incredibly selective and careful about the people we allow to influence and shape us as people. We see this kind of major influence in people's lives all the time. I can take you right now downstairs into our preschool area and introduce you to my little one-year-old girl, Paige Allison Plumley. And what you will find as she's creeping up on two is that she's repeating every single word we say. And parents, you got to watch this because sometimes your kids will pick up things and say things that you didn't intend for them to pick up. But she's in that stage where she's just a sponge, right? Every single thing that she hears, she's repeating back to us. Now, what is that? That's an incredible amount of influence that Shelly and I and we as a family have over this little girl. But we've seen that influence continue, right? You see that influence continue when you see teenagers sometimes who fall into the wrong crowd, who get around the wrong people, and they influence them into things that they shouldn't get into, or they move them into trouble that they wouldn't otherwise get into, but because of that influence of some of the people that they surround themselves with, they end up getting into serious trouble. We've all seen that kind of unfortunate influence happen. But I can also tell you that adults are not immune from this either. Every single affair or problem I've seen in a marriage has started with someone allowing another person outside that marriage to have influence in their home. Every one of them. What we need to recognize is that relationships and influence that happens across relationships is incredibly powerful. There is a new TV series coming out in 2018 called Waco. Has anybody heard of this yet? Anybody know what this is about? Anybody ever heard of David Koresh, Branch Davidians? There was a cult in Texas in the 90s that the, uh, the FBI had to storm and take out. If you don't believe that there's influence and power from a, in the adult world, if you think that's just for kids, look at the cults that have proliferated in our society, where people wholesale have been deceived even into giving their lives. Influence is real. Relationships have carried a powerful level of influence that we need to be aware of. Now, here's the point. You and I need to recognize that we should be exercising incredible discernment, about who we allow to have relational influence in our lives. There needs to be an amount of wisdom, a careful evaluation of how we allow people to shape and form us. So imagine this. Visualize it this way, just as a word picture to help us get this. Imagine that when you are born... God gives you a set of relational keys. So if you can picture, you know, the physical keys you use to open a door or to open your house, imagine that there's these spiritual relational keys that are kind of figuratively given to every person. And when you're born, each of us give those keys by nature of being born to our parents, to our family members. And these keys give them the ability to speak into our souls, to speak into our hearts, to to shape us. But as we get older and as we mature, we begin to decide who we want to give those keys to. We begin to decide who we want to allow to have access into our lives. This might be a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a... A husband or a wife, we we get to pick who's going to get these keys of influence that we need that we allow them to have. And what Paul is saying here is that we should be exercising incredible care and discernment about who we hand those keys to. So to show you the danger of that, let me let me twist that analogy just a little bit different. Imagine for a moment that you had ten keys to your homemade. You made 10 copies of your house key. And imagine one fateful Saturday afternoon you decided you were going to go set up shop on the strip here at Lake of the Ozarks during biker week. Okay, And how crazy would it be for you to take your house key and to say, I'm giving away keys to my house. Who would like one? And oh, by the way, if you're going to take a key, you might as well have my address It's 317 Ridge Road, and you might as well know I'm usually gone between 10 and 2. Here's a key. Now, how many of us would do that? None of us would give keys to our homes to people we don't trust. And the reason for that's simple. You don't want somebody you don't trust having access to valuable parts of your home, Right? You don't want someone you don't trust or you don't really know that well having the ability just to walk into your home anytime they want. Now, sweet people, listen to me. What the Apostle Paul is saying is we have something inside our hearts and our souls that is of infinite more value than what you have in your home. And in the same way that you would be incredibly careful about who you give a key to your house to, we must be careful about who we give relational influence and connection to. So, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Who have you given your keys to? Who has the keys to your soul, to your heart, that when they speak a word, it shapes and forms who you are as a person? If you had to get a piece of paper out and list the top three influences in your life, what would those be? Now, what I have to acknowledge is that in 2017, while some of those may be physical people, what we also have to acknowledge is one of the persons or sources of influence on that list may be someone or something you've never met. Some of us may have to write Fox News on that list. Some of us may need to write an athlete or someone in popular culture that we look to that the way they dress or the way they do things, that kind of shapes and forms who you are. Let me tell you how you can know who you've handed your keys to, okay? The way you can know who you've handed your keys to is by the quantity of time you spend with that person and the quality of time you spend with them. Quantity of time... That's the amount of time, the frequency with which you spend time with them, and the quality of time, that is, the level of vulnerability, the level of intimacy that you share with that person, that's how you hand off keys to other people. What I want to do this morning, with the time I have remaining, is I want to show you who the wrong people are to hand keys to, and I want to show you who the right people are. I'm convinced, after praying through this, thinking through this this past week, I'm convinced that one of the dangers that many of us are facing, especially in this community, especially at the Lake of the Ozarks, is some of us are just not being careful about who we're allowing into our lives. Let, Let me just meddle a little bit more, okay? Some of us need to pay attention to who our children are giving those keys to so I asked you to write the top three influences in your life. If you had to do that same exercise, moms and dads, for the children that you have in your home, your grandchildren, what would those three names look like? When I show you the wrong type of influence and the right type of influence, I'm not just doing that for you. I'm also doing that because we as parents and grandparents and as a church family must pray that the Lord gives us these kind of influences. Let me show you, number one, the wrong type of influence that we do not want to hand keys to in our lives. Look at verse 18. The wrong influences. Paul starts there. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So just out of the chute, Paul wants to make something very clear. There are only two categories. There are only two types of influence. There are those that are hostile to the gospel, hostile to Christ, and there are those that are of Christ. One of the reasons I want to hang out on that just for a minute is because I think there's an incredible amount of deception going on in our culture About this kind of third way. I'm not really totally about Christ. I'm not really against Jesus. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Just kind of floating out there, kind of in this amorphous kind of middle place. But what Paul is indicating here is that spot actually doesn't exist. The people that you listed in your mind and in your heart that you've given those keys to are either Hostile to the gospel, or they are for the gospel. Spencer, you're being often, often, awfully uh, judgmental and kind of black and white about this. How how can you make such a claim? Here's why I think Paul is saying it this way, especially that we need to hear in 2017. Um, the idea that everybody's right and nobody's wrong is a farce. It's not true. It doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud. Everybody can't be right, and nobody can be wrong. That, that doesn't even work. And what Paul's trying to say is, for us in 2017, understand that the idea that convictional biblical Christianity is compatible with much of what we see in the world today is false. He's saying either the influences in your life are going to bring hostility and move you away from Jesus, or they're going to move you closer to Christ. It's really important that we recognize that there are no neutral influences. There's either hostility to the gospel or loyalty to Jesus. What does that hostility look like? Four quick things we see in this passage. What are the characteristics of someone who's the wrong type of influence. Look in your Bibles at verse 19. Number one, he says their end is destruction. These are people, because of their hostility to the gospel, whose final destination is destruction, because when they meet God, they do not meet God as his friend. They meet God as his enemy. They meet God still responsible for their sins, and so because of that, he says, their end is destruction. But keep in mind, this kind of destruction doesn't just show up at the end. It's something we see in people's lives who follow this pattern throughout their lives. You see, when you make sinful decisions, and and sin is what characterizes your life, dysfunction and destruction is what follows in this life. There are consequences to sin. And so what we're seeing is we've got to avoid people having keys to our souls who are constantly in a state of dysfunction and destruction because of sinful decisions. These are people who, while they think they know what's best for their life and they appear to maybe have it all together, under the surface there's an incredible amount of turmoil and destruction because of sin. Paul says the first thing you need to stay away from are people whose end is destruction. Second thing he says is their God is their belly. This is a shorthand way of saying that these types of people make living out their own desires and dreams their total focus of their lives. These are people who want to fulfill their desires, their dreams, no matter what it does to the people around them. These are people that see every person around them as a means to their own end, to their own goal, to their own life being built. If we were to think about what Jesus says in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 5, these are people who are building their lives on a foundation of sand. They're building their life not on glorifying their Savior, but on gratifying self. Thirdly, he says they glory in their shame. Not only do they sin, there's a celebration of sin in their life. There's no sense of guilt or shame for what is wrong. In fact, there is a parading of it. There's an elevation of it. You and I need to be careful that we do not allow people into our lives that cause us to see sin as no big deal. That cause us to to underestimate the danger of sin. Can I give you an example of that? Um, Husbands and wives, if you're married today, there is a tendency when you're around ladies around other wives or men around other husbands, it it can be very easy to have men or women belittle their spouse, to talk about, you know, women in a way that's, that's demeaning or to talk about men as if they're buffoons. One of the things we've got to be careful of, husbands and wives, in this spirit of glorying in their shame, is that we don't allow people to have an inroad into our hearts that are causing us to not see the seriousness and the danger associated with sin. It is very easy to connect with people and to allow people to have keys to our souls that cause us to be blind to how deadly sin really is. Fourthly and finally, he also says, these people have their minds set on earthly things. As if we needed to know that, the result is that their focus is totally on worldly achievements and material things. Every conversation you have with these people revolves around the next thing they're going to get, the next house they want to build, the next car they want to have, the next toy for the lake they want to get. It's all about kind of material worldly possessions. And what Paul says is, is that we need to be incredibly careful about allowing these relationships to have inroads into our hearts because these wrong examples encourage gratification of self and looking within for the answers to life's problems rather than keeping our eyes fixed on our Savior. Now let me be clear about what I'm not saying and what I think Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying that if you ever were to come into contact with one of these people that you would go, ah, and run away. Okay, he's not saying that. He's not saying that we should wall ourselves up in a cave and never go out and never be around these people. No, we're to have conversations with these people and and hopefully prayerfully get to talk to them about Jesus and tell them that there's a better way than living for themselves, that the delusion of trying to make yourself happy actually doesn't make yourself happy. Jesus is the only one that can deliver the satisfaction that your soul really wants. We want an opportunity to say all of those things. But what Paul is saying is that we need to be incredibly careful about the quantity of time and the quality of time, the intimacy and the vulnerability with which we have with people that characterize and epitomize the things on this list. So let me ask you this question. If you were to look back at your top three influencers in your life, do they characterize some of these things? Do some of the major influencers you've handed keys to in your life at school, maybe your life at work, Maybe your life that you live out on the internet through social media or some other platform are those people, people that characterize these kinds of characteristics. Let me talk to the single people in the room for a moment, okay? Let me tell you what that means. If you're dating someone who characterizes these things, break up with them. Yes, you heard it here first. End it, move on because let me tell you something after after pastoring for over a decade and watching and working with folks and helping people it would be so much better single people listen to me it will be so much better to wait for the right person than to get connected to the wrong person had a single lady come up to me after the service And she said, Spencer, one of the ways God has sustained me as a single woman for almost 60 years is remembering and realizing and watching some of the incredible dysfunction and harm that was done from people that jumped into something they should never have jumped into relationally. Single people, I'm trying to warn you. This is meant to be a, a warning of love and encouragement. But if some of those people that are on the top three influences in your list are engaged in that kind of behavior. You need to be careful about the quantity of time you spend with them. I'm not saying never hang out with them, but you need to be careful and guarded about the quantity of time and simultaneously be careful about the quality of time. Do not share your soul and, and your intimate, most intimate burdens with people who characterize the things on this list. When you and I give keys of our souls... Quantity time, quality time-wise to people on this list. It's like going and getting the most dangerous terrorist we could possibly find in the world and saying, here's a key to my house. I don't know about you. I wouldn't want that person having any access to my home and my family than, than you would. Giving our keys of our souls to these kinds of people is no different. So if that's the wrong influence people that encourage gratification of self, that do not fix our eyes on Christ. What's the right influence? I'm so glad you asked that. Look at verse 20. Verses 20 and 21 show us the right influence and what those people believe and trust. Look at verse 20. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is we want to give keys of our soul through the quantity and quality of our time to people whose allegiance, that is citizenship, their allegiance and loyalty is to King Jesus. That's who I want to have keys to my life. I want to give keys to people who are going to speak on behalf as ambassadors of King Jesus. Now, what does that look like? He talks about Jesus, look at your Bibles again, being, verse 20, Savior and Lord. Notice verse 21 when he talks about Savior. He says, this Savior, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We're talking about Jesus being Savior, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is is offering holistic, total healing and redemption. Let me clarify something that's a mistake that a lot of people get into when they think about the gospel. Many of us were raised in an environment that said, pray this prayer and you're punching your ticket to heaven. And I just wanna say to you to set the record straight on behalf of pastors and preachers everywhere, that's not the gospel The gospel is not, repeat after me, and now you're going to heaven. That's not in the Bible. That's not what biblical Christianity teaches. The gospel teaches that repentance and faith in Jesus is a transformational process in which God moves us from living in the kingdom of darkness and living for myself. Look at the word in the Bible. don't, Don't believe me. Look at verse 21. What is he doing? He's transforming us. He's moving us from living in this kingdom and he's moving us into a new state of existence in which now I'm living by faith and walking by faith and investing my life and seeing his kingdom grow and expand. It's a whole new way to live. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but it should never be a faith that is alone. It is a faith that always always, always results in transformation. Now I'm hitting that hard, okay? I'm hitting it hard because if there's one thing in these five years, almost five years, I've wanted you to know as your pastor is I want you to get the gospel right. And if there's some of you that think because you prayed some prayer when you were seven, that you're going to heaven, please understand that's not the gospel. A faith that saves you, that really saves you, is a faith that produces some kind of change in your life. If there's no change, there's probably no faith. When Paul talks here about transforming our lowly body, he's talking about the fact that Jesus, through his death, Burial and resurrection deals with the penalty of sin, hell, and the judgment that we deserve is given to Jesus. He talks about the fact that Jesus is dealing now with the power of sin. We're being freed from the enslavement to sin that all of us are born into. But he's also talking about how one day we will be freed totally from the presence of sin. This transformation so that we're like Jesus, the body that he has now, we will be given glorified resurrected bodies. Now, here's the point. You and I need to hand the keys of our souls to people who believe this, who are living this. We need to hand the keys of our souls to people who are treasuring Jesus above all other things. Let me, let me make this plain. Let me tell you one of the ways you can know people like this. One of the ways you can know if you've found someone like this is if you listen to how they pray. How do I know if somebody really treasures Jesus? When I listen to people pray, I can tell if they know the Jesus that we're talking about. Sometimes when we pray, it's very easy to be theoretical or hypothetical about our prayers, Right? I'm talking to the air, or I'm talking to the people that are around me. Sometimes it really takes a sense of consciousness and awareness to go, no, I'm actually talking to the living God. I'm actually talking to Jesus who loves me and died for me. And there's something powerful about hearing someone pray who you can tell obviously talks to Jesus a lot, and there's a treasuring of Jesus they have in their souls what we're wanting and asking God to do is to give us people in our lives who are treasuring the Jesus we're talking about who is our savior but this passage also talks about Jesus being our lord he said he's the lord look at the rest of verse 21 to see how Paul unpacks that who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body now pay attention by the power that enables him to e- even to subject all things to himself. Paul is saying that we actually look for people to invite into our lives that believe in the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus. That what Matthew 28 says when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that we look for people that believe that and we invite them, we hand them keys to our lives to speak into us. Let me tell you one of the practical ways you can look for someone who believes that Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Look for someone who exhibits a peace and a calmness in the midst of storm. Right now, when I turn on the TV or the news or I look at my feed and see what's going on in the world, I frequently remark, the world has gone crazy. Crazy loony bin nuts. I don't know how Arell is going to translate loony bin nuts, but <laughs> there it is. God bless him. Crazy, and it's very easy to do uh, what I've heard one person call, which is catastrophize. You know what that means? Everything's a catastrophe. We go from one problem to another, and what we're looking for is people that are going, yes, we have problems. Yes, the world is crazy. Yes, this is not the way it should be, but Jesus is still on his throne. He's still ruling and reigning, and by the way, every piece of this puzzle that's moving this world forward, Jesus is moving them into place so that when he returns, to judge, the living, and the dead, it is exactly the right moment in time that he preordained. We believe that. So when you're looking for someone, who, who are the people I want to invite relationally into my life to have this kind of influence-shaping ability to, to speak into me? I'm looking for people who have a calmness and a peace that emerges from a belief, an unwavering trust that even in the midst of difficulty, Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. What we are praying for is those kinds of people. What Paul is saying is simply this. While the wrong examples lead us to gratify ourselves, the right examples lead us to glorify our Savior. If you want to sum up this whole passage just in one statement, I'll say it again. While the wrong examples lead us to worship and gratify ourselves, the right examples lead us to glorify our Savior. This past week, um, the Plumley family went to Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And we had our eight-year-old Seth and our five-year-old Noah. And we walked everywhere. If you've ever been to Disney World, it's a rather large place. And I have two children who are not above complaining on occasion if they feel unduly burdened by certain things that are upon them. And so in order to pass the time as we were walking through the miles and miles and miles of Disney World, especially for my little five-year-old Noah, whose legs are about this big, we would sing songs, right? It's Disney World. It's supposed to be the happiest place on earth, whatever that means. So we would sing, And we would sing different songs at the boys or TV shows that they're watching or whatever. But one of the songs that began to emerge was from my eight-year-old Seth. And he started singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Now, this is not exactly on the Disney playlist, okay? Because we're standing in line and my son is singing about Ebenezer's. Ebenezer Scrooge is the closest connection you could make to that. That's not what that means. He's singing about the blood of Jesus being interposed for him. And it hit me as we, I was kind of after the second or third time he's singing this. I go, what are you, what are you doing? And he said, well, this is the song we sang at church. This is the song that Mr. Zach and Miss Joyce and Miss Katie taught us at church. And it hit me, duh. Zach, very ambitiously, I might add, selected Come Thou Fount as the song the kids would sing on Wednesday nights and sing for us in church. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago right here, they sang that song. And so what I was watching is I was watching right godly influences shape my children. I was watching Zach and Joyce And Katie and others in this church, and hopefully by God's grace, our family, our parenting, shape our children. Now, I'm not here to tell you that Seth Plumley is a perfect kid. He's not. But there's a shaping going on in his little heart where he's feeling comfortable singing about that stuff. Feeling comfortable singing about Jesus. Let me tell you what we want. Guys, listen to me. You want people speaking into your life that after spending time with them, you want to sing about Jesus. You want to hand keys to people in your life that after spending time with them, your heart is encouraged through their example, through their words. And what you have to ask yourself is if you look back at that list of people that are the most influential in your life, those top three do they make you want to sing about Jesus? Do they make your heart want to soar? Because you see the way God's working in them, and it encourages you. Well, wait a minute, Spencer. Where am I, where am I going to find those kind of people? I'm so glad you asked that. The church, the local body of believers, the family of God, is meant to be the place where these kinds of people are being developed, produced, and connected. You ready for my plug? Here it comes. This is why our life group ministry at Riverview Baptist Church is so essential. I know there are some of you that are on the wings. You're here, you live here, you're kind of checking things out, you're in worship, you're kind of watching how things are going, you've not really connected yet. But if you want these kinds of influences in your life, one of the potential paths for that is getting into a small group. We call them life groups. They meet at Sunday morning at 9.30, where you can connect with other followers of Jesus that are going to be a blessing to your soul. Listen to me, sweet people. All of us, all of us without exception, are being shaped by some kind of influence. What Paul is calling us to is to consider and to make sure we're being shaped by the right kind of influence. I'm going to ask your musicians to come up. And uh, as we close this morning, I just want to turn what we've been talking about a little bit in a different direction. just want to shift gears just a little bit, okay? What I've been talking about most through this service is you and I handing keys to other people. Right? And that's correct. That's what the text is talking about, discernment about who we're allowing through quality and quantity of time into our lives. However, there is a different point of application I'd like to close with this morning. And while it's true that you and I hand keys to other people, we also need to be very aware that other people have handed keys to us other people have handed influence and relationship and a willingness to be shaped and formed by what we say and what we do. People have handed you that influence. If you still have children in your home, your children have handed you those keys. And as we conclude this service, I wonder if there are some of us this morning, we did this in the first service, it was just very informal, there's nothing formal or special about this just want you to have an opportunity a space to respond but maybe there's some of us this morning that would say i need to pray and ask god to help me steward the influence that he's given me in my life maybe some of you would like to come to this altar like we had people in the first service and just pray for your children pray for your grandchildren can i tell you where i'm at with my parenting strategy and philosophy let me tell you where i'm at now I think the starting place is not strategy or technique. I think the starting place for a healthy parenting philosophy is a confession of my inability to change my kids. Healthy philosophy of marriage is a starting place of confessing my inability to change my spouse. Can I get an amen? can do it. My confession of my knee when it comes to my relationships with my friends and my coworkers that I want to see come to know Jesus is a confession of my inability to change them. I would love to tell you that Seth and Noah and Paige look at me and say, oh, you, you're the pastor at Riverview Baptist Church? Well, wow, mom and dad, we're just going to do whatever you say all the time and have a great attitude. Hello? No, that doesn't happen. They don't care about my degrees or my books or the office that I have here. They don't care about any of that. You know what has to happen for their hearts to be changed? Jesus has to change them from the inside out. And I can't do that. And neither can you. So I wonder if there's some of us this morning that as we conclude this service just need to fill this altar and just pray. Just pray and ask God to bless our marriages, to bless our homes. But I would be remiss if I didn't also, as I conclude, say there's some of you here today who maybe for the very first time need to experience the influencing power of Jesus Christ. Some of you, when I talked a few moments ago about if there's no change, there's probably no faith, some of you God convicted in that moment. There may be some of you that that know, I'm not a Christian. I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I'm not what, what they're talking about from the Word. This morning, I want you to know that you can become a Christian. You can know God personally by repenting of your sin and placing your faith and your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Every one of us, because of our sins, stand guilty. We stand condemned because of what we've done. But Jesus Christ took that on himself and died in your place so that you could be forgiven. He rose again to say, if you repent of your sin and trust Jesus alone, you can be forgiven. There may be some of you this morning that as we have a time of response need to respond in that way. My prayer for us is this, is that we would recognize the incredible influencing power of the vertical relationship that Jesus came to establish, but also the power that God has called us to leverage through our horizontal relationships for His glory. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that we can sing and give.